0: Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Teruma Sheni, the second Aliyah in Parshas Truma. The topic of our Aliyah is the Kapores, the Kruvim, and the Shulchan. We hear in this Aliyah of 14 Pesukim from Perek Yudzain to Lamed. Let's take a look at the general overview and then take some points to ponder. We're told now to, that the Moshe Rabbeinu is to make the Kapores, which is the lid, to cover the Ark, and it is made of one solid piece of gold, and drawn out of it are these two kruvim, these two angels. They are made on either end of the kapares. and they are to be facing each other. So they have their wings spreading up above, and their faces facing one another. Um, and that this is placed upon the iron, and the testimony, which is that the luchos, are actually placed in. The iron um, as well. We then hear a paragraph about the creation of the shulchan, which is the, sh- the table for the showbread. It is made of I'd say, Shittim, um, and it is, we hear dimensions, it is two amos um, in length, one cubit in um, amar in width, and a amar and a half comma of height. One and a half amos is worthwhile noting that in the, in the traditions of many of the Bedouin tra- traditions, which were prevalent at the time. Um, people would eat on the floor, they would eat o- off trays on the floor, this is an elevation, this is much more dignified, the way that this is being described over here, of this, this uh, table, and then we hear it's covered with gold, it has a zerah zahav, a golden crown, and it also has a misgerach, misgeres. Um, it has a, some sort of frame around it as well. Um, we hear that it also has four rings through which it, uh, it has its own staves or these um, sticks to carry it with it and then we hear about the the, the fact that it has these um, s- containers or these or these um, structure the structure around the side which would hold the showbread which would be supported above it so there are six above the one side six above the other side in the middle and have these two little cups of Incense, frankincense, which would burn. So there would be 12 loaves, six, six in a stack on these, this frame above the table on one side, six in the stack above the table on the other side, and the two cups in the middle of frankincense. Um, this is the word description of the shulchan. A few basic questions is, what are the kruvim? What do they represent? The Gamorrean Sukkah tells us the word kruv comes to the word keravia in Aramaic, which means like a child. So the face of, the, of this kruv, this angel, was like a child. Obviously, does not mean that an angel is of human form, but it means to say the closest we can understand represented is the innocence of what a child is. Obviously, Christian doctrine took this into a very literal understanding. Um, it's not literal when it comes to understanding what Judaism is. This is much a loftier concept than something which can be made into a statue in the middle of a fountain. Um, and so it is important to appreciate the subtleties of this. Why do we need this? Why is Hashem's voice emanating from between these two krivim? What is really going on over here? The general understanding among the is that the krivim represent the, the the dialogue and the connection between the nation of Israel and the Rebbeinu Shalom, the Almighty. And therefore, famously, the Major says that when the Krivim were facing each other, that was when there was consonance, there was harmony between the nation of Israel and Hashem. And when they were facing away from each other, that was there was dissonance between God forbid, between the nation of Israel and Hashem. And Hashem, as well, uh, and Hashem. And so this would represent that relationship in a very um, specific format. And um, It's worthwhile noting that Gemara does describe that before the destruction of the Base Migdash, they were embracing each other. So just before the moment of destruction, there was this embrace before the separation. There's a lot to think about when I'm understanding this. I'd like to explore one idea which is really profound. It found me in the Nefesh HaChaim, Rav Chaim in Sha'ar Aleph Peraktes, a very famous and beautiful idea. He points out that, and if you read, say, for Melachim, the way the Beis Middash was created was a little different to that of the Mishkan. Not just a little bit, a lot. So as an example, one of the major differences was that in the Beis Medash there were four Krivim, not just two. The two Krivim that are described here, created in the, um, the Mishkan, of course, were there on the lid of Aaron, the Kapores of Aaron. However, there were another two ma- much larger, wooden, gold-coated Krivim, an- uh, angelic figures, also, which were huge, ten amos high, they would stretch their wings from one end to the other end; the tips were touching for ten amos. Ten amos was a very powerful, large structure, and they would be above as a canopy above the iron as well. They rested on the ground, not on the um, not on the uh, on the lid of the iron. So, what's interesting is is that when describing the uh, the krivim here in our in the um, Parshish Truma, we hear of them facing each other. However, in the in in just Melachim, it describes that they, in fact, um, were, uh, were not facing each other. They were facing the, the entrance. So that, and the Gomorrah explains, the Babasra explains, that they were sort of at a diagonal. They were facing towards the entrance and, and to each other at the same time. What is the relevance of the difference of the Kruvim at the times of the Mishkan and the times of the Mikdash? And the Nefeshacham explains that because the, the the kruvim represents the relationship of Hashem and the nation of Israel at the time of the de- the generation of the mi- of the midbar, the our generation that we're talking about over here, where there was this supernatural sustenance where people were. Literally um, eating food from the heaven, their clothes are being laundered, they're being protected by from the, the problems on the ground by the clouds, even beneath their feet, and their enemies on the outside, and the, the heat and the sun. They will be they're living a supernatural existence. There was this meditation, meditative pose between the nation of Israel, who could just think about God all day long, and there was gazing into pure, pure gold, this pureness of this relationship, which was face to face. However, that was not to be, and that was not the plan for humanity. The plan for humanity was to have to go into a country and set up an army and set up a government and have a king and pay taxes and till the land and have all the kind of complications of regular life and still see God. And that's why the kruvim were in the land of Israel, the towns of the mikdash were not made of pure gold. They were made of wood covered with gold because it was more complex. Life was a little more complex. And they were looking at each other, but they weren't only looking at each other. They were looking at the door. They were looking forward as well because life was more complex. They would look outside as well at the same time as meditating on God, the complexity of everyday life is represented in the land of Israel. And Shachaim then asks a very interesting question. And that is that if it's true that the Kruvim, these angels, the angel of Israel could not fully meditate and focus on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then it really should be that the angel representing the Hashem, so to speak, whatever that means, would be looking still straight at Israel, whereas Israel is trying to look at God, but also by, by, by looking towards the door. So only one angel should be diagonal, the other angel should not be diagonal. Similarly, you could ask the same question with the angels in the, in the Mishkan. If, uh, they're say, Israel were not cooperating in the relationship with Hashem, then that angel should turn around, but Hashem should carry on wanting to have the relationship and the neujahrheim says very famously is that that's not the case we set the tone of the relationship with Hashem. And therefore, if we are turned away, pivoted even so slightly as 45 degrees or Rachmona 180 degrees, the other side of the relationship shifts and pivots as well. And that means to say that our Kosh baruchu follows, Hashem Tzilcha al Yadimenecha, says in the Nefesh HaKhaim, that we, Hashem is like the shadow. As we move our arm, the shadow moves as well on the ground. Hashem is the reflection of the tone of the relationship that we set with Him as well. A very powerful idea, and that's reflected in these Krivim at both at different, uh, different times in the nation of Israel's history. We move to another point. What is the point of the Shulchan? So the Bechor Shor explains that this is a sign of honor. The king's servants eat of the king's table. Who are the king's servants? They are the Kohanim. They are the priests who are serving in the Besamikdash, in the Mishkan. They are to eat of the king's table. The Sforah takes it a little deeper and he says that the, uh, that the Mishkan is, supposed, is to be the house of God. Just like in the house of God, in a palace, the king has a throne. He says that throne is likened to the Aaron. Then you have the lamp and the table of the king. The lamp is the menorah. The table is the Shulchan. He says, so we're taking one step further. If... This is representing the house of the king, the palace of the king. The shulchan actually represents two functions of the king. It has a zer and it has a miskeras, a crown and a, a border. The zer represents the function of the king to judge the people, that he is crowned to be in charge of the people and judging the disputes. But then there's a miskeras. Miskeras is this boundary around it, which is to protect the people from harm from without. Those are the two functions the king plays. Rabbeinah take, it takes it one step deeper. He says that in fact... That when we, when we look at the Shulchan, although it is true that it's blessing our bread, our, um, our the food that we get which flows over into our, our lives, in fact we are ta- being taught that the bread which is on Hashem's table is in fact on our, on our table is a sacrifice to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That means to say that even when the Mikdash is no longer going to be here, the way that we eat, the way that we conduct ourselves at our meal, the most physical of experiences, what all mammals have to do to eat to survive, that is the time where we can sacrifice to Hashem. In fact, he quotes a minag in Tzarfas in France, that aron likfura When the per- a person would die after me'a Esrim at 120, they would take the wood of their table, their dining room and table, and use it as the wood for the casket of their aron. In Lo he says to teach, ki'a adam mu'uma What really counts, nothing that a person accumulated really counts. What does count is the goodness they did and shared at their table. Who extends their table to others, their lives and their years will be extended too. Very powerful expression which is being taught to us by the Shulchan over here as a a, um, reflection of what we are supposed to be doing today as well. Now, what is the Lechem HaPonim? What does it mean, this Lechem HaPonim, which is always here? Our Baba explains, the word Ponim comes to the word LeFonai. It's in front of me. This bread is, con- is, is expressing the presence of Hashem, which is in our everyday life as well. And that's why, if we bring the Lechem HaPonim on the, on the Shulchan, ultimately, our everyday bread, our everyday sustenance, would be blessed as well. The Mishkan was the place which was the conduit, the antenna, for spiritual blessing to be found in a material go- wealth. It's interesting to note that the Mishnah in Menachos that study based, tells us that there is a dispute as to what the word Tamed means. The last pasuk over here in Arliya is Lechem Panim tamed, the, the showbread or the the presence bread is in front of me always. What does that mean to So the Mishnah t- 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 tells us that the, according to the one opinion, the way they would have to do is when they, on the Shabbos, when they would exchange the one week's bread, because the bread would stay there for a week and they'd be exchanged by the next round, and then eaten by the Kohanim, um, the idea would be is they would push the one set of bread off from the one side, the new bread, Um, It goes in, the old bread comes off, so there's never a moment that the table is left without bread above it. That's how tamid needed to be, that's how consistent it needed to be. However, the opinion of Rabbi Yossi was, Rabbi Yossi says it did not need to be so punctilious. It could be that you just took one off and you put the next one on, that's still considered tamid, that's still considered always. In fact, the Gomorrah goes on to say that we can learn from this an important lesson when it comes to our Torah learning as well. That we're told in the beginning of Sefer Valala, we're supposed to study the Torah, we meditate upon the divine teachings. Day and night, it's been meant to be continuous. And the question is, is how continuous? How much are we supposed to dedicate our time? And the Gemara makes the note, according to Rabbi Yossi, that, the, that as long as at the beginning and the end of the day is consistent, that there, there is Torah there, that's still considered Tamed, that's still considered enough of continuity, which means that the person could le- learn at the very least a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening, perhaps even Kriya Shema in the morning, Kriya in the, e- in the evening, to have the very basic minimum of what Tamed is. That's not the optimal, but that's certainly still Tamed. And there's a debate in the Gemara then, at the very end of the, the Gemara, Zadid Tzadav Tzaditesh, where uh, there's a debate as to whether or not a person should tell this to the, the regular uh, the masses. Should this be something which is taught or not? On the one hand, if you teach it, then people will rest, rest assured and say, well, it's enough just to learn a little bit. On the other hand, perhaps there are people who give up if they did not know that they had the opportunity of doing even the most minimum level of Tamed. It's still doing learning in the morning and learning in the evening is no small commitment as well. And the Gemara debates, particularly this, this point, the notion of Tamed. Therefore, the Shulchan is teaching us not just the notion of how we sacrifice and what the best should look like, but it's what our lives look like. The framework of Tameh, the framework of continuity, which is meant to frame our lives on a daily basis. With this, we conclude the second Ali. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.